As you open to Matthew 28, um, I want to just begin this time of prayer. Lord, as we've sung, we, we praise you. Our hearts are full, full of gratitude, gratitude for your grace, your mercy that you pour out upon us every single day of our life. And God, we are hungry to know what you say about life, our life, the world we live in. We would just pray in these moments we would hear what your spirit has to say. Give me your words. Give us ears of your spirit so that in all things that you would be praised and glorified and honored. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the context of the verses is a resurrected Christ has gathered the 11 disciples together. We're told in Corinthians there are actually 500 other brethren there, pretty large meeting. And the verses says to the end of the age, and since the end of the age hasn't come, you're here too. So let's join what Jesus says on this message he gives to his disciples Verse 18, Matthew 28, and Jesus came up and spoke to them all, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a great passage for a lot of reasons, very instructive, and I feel like to a degree I'm building on what our brother Scott spoke on um, last week. We can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. Um, And the resurrected Christ gives a mission and says, I want you to go and speak about what you've seen and heard, and as you do it, I want you to help people understand what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ. And I love the way he begins it in verse 18. He doesn't begin saying, hey, go. He says, first of all, I want you to understand the one who's sending you to go, I call the shots. Because all authority on heaven and earth belongs to me. And so as Jesus gives this mission, he wants his people to know he's the one who gives the mission. He dictates the terms. He dictates what that mission looks like, the expansiveness of it. Jesus said, I call the shots, and as one who has all authority, I command you. And it is a command go. It means don't stay. Don't stop. Move. (laughs) Go forward. Because he calls the shots, he determines the mission. His mission here is go make disciples. Matter of fact, not only does he call a mission, he is the message. (laughs) Christ is our message. And he's the one we proclaim. The mission's importance is seen in the fact that Jesus, who has all authority, commanded it. That's why it's important. We understand it. In Acts 1 through 8, we, we read an important verse. The resurrected Christ comes. He promises the disciples, but he not only comes with a promise, he reinforces the things he said already. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Notice the expansive nature of being witnesses. You're to go. Make disciples, be my witnesses in ever-increasing ways. 
Then if we read in chapter 8, verse 40 of the book of Acts, we see this very thing happening. This is a loaded verse. Could have preached on this, this verse. Philip, if you were to read the chapter before that, found himself at Azotus as he passed through. Notice, his, notice what he did. He kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. That's kind of a good little model for us. Notice what he preached was the gospel. That's the focus of the message. He kept doing it. There was a consistent effort. To all the cities, there was urgency. And that's a pretty good model. That's what it means to go. To go with the gospel, which is the focus of the message, to keep going, consistently proclaiming that message and being witnesses, and going with an urgency to all the cities. Because all people on the earth need to know and need to hear. It's incredibly important we understand that the mission hasn't changed. The message hasn't changed. The focus and urgency are never to be lost. That's the mission's importance. And this mission is so crucial that God says, I'm placing my people in the midst of their communities that they would carry out this mission, that they would have an impact as witnesses for Christ. You see, he builds his church. It's a church on a mission. We don't build the church. He does because all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. We're his church. He sets the terms. He sets the mission. His mission is to go into all the world, make disciples, to be witnesses, to proclaim his message. Indeed, he is the message. But what's the mission's context? Go to Ephesians 3, 1 through 11. I, I couldn't figure out where to stop, so we're just going to read all 11 verses, okay? This kind of has a beautiful flow to it. <clears throat> what's the context of our mission? For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Look at a clear focus of what the gospel is. It's Christ. Notice Paul's repetition. This isn't coming from Paul. This came from a revelation. This came from him who has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's, that's where the message came from. And he goes on to verse 7 to say, Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power to me. The very least of all the saints, Paul says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly places. And this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the context of the mission. The church. The church, as a church, we display the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God's plan, that it's Jew and Gentile, black and white, rich and poor, that God has brought such great variety and, and diversity as part of his body. It's indeed the diversity that brings the strength to the body. 
You're all needed, young and old, whoever you are. You're part of his church as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're part of his church, which is the context to carry out the mission. In that, the church is not somewhere you go. The church is not somewhere you go. It's something we are. That's the church. It's pretty, hey, we're going to church today, as if the church is a physical place. We are the church as we sit here. We're the church. When you say I'm going to church, you should mean I'm going to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ because we are the church. Theology, I think Paul's, if you look at the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul gets really rich in theology, but he makes a shift here in chapter 3 to what theologians call ecclesiology. Theology without ecclesiology is incomplete worldview, incomplete picture. It's a disconnect God does not make. If you want to study God, you need to study also his church because he doesn't separate them. It's part of his eternal plan, he says in Ephesians 3. In this church, these assemblies, these congregations we read about in Acts, the local churches here in our world today, they're a community of called people who are called to go into all the world and make disciples. That's the context. The task of leaders is to lead people into what it means to be called, what it means to go. That's why I speak on the church often, because Jesus spoke on the church, Paul spoke on the church, the scriptures speak on the church. And that's what Ephesians 3, 1 through 11 breaks down. 1 through 7 tells us God's building out of a fractured world, one new reconciled group, the church. There's no other group like the church. No other group. Verses 8 through 11, Paul preached Christ. He also preached the church. Interesting, and that's the part we kind of make a disconnect. In the church is a visual lesson. It's exhibit A of God's wisdom. It's exhibit A of God's grace. In verse 10, God's saying to those spiritual forces, you're going to get a snippet of my eternal plan that I'm bringing all things together, the most unlikely people, and they've become the community of the called. Ordinary people, even a normal guy like me. We're part of the called community. And God's doing it. God's bringing it together. None of us can claim anything in that. And he has called us as his church, as his people, to mission. And so the church is who we are, his body, through whom God does his eternal work. Well, what is that eternal work? What's that mission he's called us to? Well, 2 Corinthians 13.9, I think, gives us one in one verse a pretty good little Focal point. 2 Corinthians verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 9. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This also we pray, that you, may, you be made complete. The word complete is this idea of maturity. Paul says, this we work for, this we pray that you would become mature. That you'd grow towards maturity. You see, the mission's a call to action. And it can be lost in the vagueness of what it means to be a disciple. Now, as you read the New Testament and you see the word disciple, there's a context in where um, at that day and age was disciple was used. A disciple followed a rabbi. And for a disciple to learn from a rabbi, the disciple had to follow the rabbi. Because if you weren't in the presence of the rabbi, you didn't hear what the rabbi was teaching. So you needed to be a follower before you could be a learner. 
And there's a good point. If you're not following Jesus on your Monday to Saturday, I'm not too sure you're going to get a lot on Sunday. You need to follow. Followers are learners. If you don't follow, odds are pretty good you don't learn. And you know who's the ones who imitate the rabbi? The followers. The disciples. If you want to imitate Jesus, you need to follow him. And as a follower, you need to learn from him. And it doesn't just happen on one hour on Sunday. We are to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who take our cues from him. It's true, we are all at different places in our spiritual walk. It's crucial in our mission as a church, we meet people where they're at. Encourage them to take a next step in their spiritual walk. To encourage each other into biblical practices which bring growth and maturity. Because as Paul prayed, I pray that you would become mature. We want to work towards becoming more mature Christians. When your child's born, you don't leave them at age three and say, hey, it's okay. Leave the nook in your mouth, stay in your diapers, that's okay. I mean, let's be honest, do you really want a 16-year-old high school with a nook in their mouth and diapers? No, right? We want them to mature. Same thing in the church. We don't want people just coming to Christ. It starts there. I mean, we want them in glory. But we want them to mature to the point that they can go tell other people about Christ, that they can model Christ to the world around them. We want them to grow into maturity. That's what we're about. We had a great leadership retreat yesterday, and we talked a lot about that. What does it look like to carry out our mission to young and old alike? What's that going to look like in our context, in our process here at Elam? We talked about some things, a visual, we're calling the funnel, which we'll introduce here uh, to you as Time goes on a little bit more and a little bit more as we process it more. But the whole goal of our process and discipleship efforts are to help people grow in their maturity in Christ. So they wouldn't be Christians who come and soak. But they, they take the word and then go live it out and go. We want to be a sending church in that way. That mission field could be right next door to your neighbor, to the place you work, or it could be over in Guatemala, Chad, and England, or wherever. So we need to be a place where really we're discipling and releasing and sending people. That they're maturing. That's the mission. We call, define our mission as helping people know, grow, and engage. Helping people know who Christ is. Evangelism. Helping lost people find the Savior. Exposing them to the gospel. Because lost people matter to God. Lost people are on God's heart. God's heart beats for lost people. Might ours as well. You and I have, at the beginning of it all, of our mission is to hold out the gospel, which brings salvation. I also take this part of the mission to help people to know God more intimately. We want to help people come to know God in relationship and a deepening of that relationship. That's part of the maturity piece. We want people to know Christ more intimately, to worship him more fully, to grow in intimacy, that they love him more today than they did yesterday. They love him more next year than they did this year. That's how we can help people know Christ. We want to help every believer God brings into the ministry here to know who Christ is and to grow in that relationship. Any resources you and we as a church used to extend the love of Jesus is never an expense, it's an investment. 
We're called to make Christ known at the marketplace, at Dairy Queen, at Subway, the public schools and the places you work and to your next door neighbors and to extending to the um, outreaches of all the world. That's why the church has been left here. That's why we've been left on earth. So a watching world could see the reality of the grace of God, the wisdom of God on display. It's our responsibility, it's our privilege to be God's called ones to hold out the gospel of truth. We can't drop the ball on this one. Our community depends on us, even if they don't know it, to hold out the word of hope, the gospel. Jesus Christ, perfect life, lived a perfect life, died and rose from the dead, that people could be saved and given victory in Jesus. That's the message we hold out. No, how about grow? We want to help people grow. Jesus said, hey, when you go on this mission, there's a couple things that's going to help these disciples grow. Uh, teach them to observe all the things that I have said. Teach them the word of God. And baptize them. Help them to identify with what I've done for them. Help them grow. In other words, there's things, there's steps people can take to help them grow. We want to take those steps which help people grow. And for a brand new Christian, it might be, I'm not sure what to do. I mean, did you when you first came to Christ? I was so totally lost when I came to Jesus. I'm like, I, I've met Jesus. This is incredible new life. Now what? I didn't know. Thank God I had people around me who said, hey, Matt, you've trusted Jesus. Here's what that means a little bit. Here's what the scriptures teach. Here's what the scriptures tell us are good things for you to do to grow. We need something to be able to help new believers discover what it looks like to begin that walk with Christ. We'll be getting in a few months in May, a couple weeks class to begin this process. That's a discovering what it means to walk in this newness of life. It's a, it'll be something for new believers. But the reality is some of people, even in this day, will come into the doors here, maybe part of the body on a regular basis, who don't know Jesus Christ, and maybe even have a lot of questions. We want to help them discover who Jesus is. That's why Brother Bill Jarman's going to be teaching in a couple weeks here in February a class called Discovering Jesus. And if you're out here going, you know, I've heard a couple things about Jesus, not quite sure what that means, you're going to want to come to that. Nice, non-threatening for a couple weeks. Bill's got such a sweet spirit. He'll be able to interact and help answer questions and, and, uh, and maybe shrug with you. Um, that's part of it as well. Um, and so you're going to want to take advantage of those opportunities. We can help people discover. We also know that there's people maybe who've been Christians for years and they've learned a few things. They've been around a block a little bit, so to speak. Uh, we want to help them to continue to grow and to connect. We have growth groups, several meeting right now. We hope to begin some more where you can step into a group and connect with people and grow in the depth of God's word and the spiritual disciplines. We want to help people take the next step in growing. And knowledge, we've been teaching the Bible doctrine class the last year, and we plan to do that again. And probably in the fall, we'll be starting up again with that one. There's a great opportunity to learn. We have Awana for our children. We have our middle school and high school who do a tremendous job of laying out the Word of God. So this is what it means to be a Christian. This is how to grow. In each of those cases, it's about our mission, helping people come to know, helping people to grow. But, but we don't want to just soak and keep it in. We don't want to be a church, individual Christian that's so totally inward that's a, that's a cul-de-sac and not a conduit. 
You know the difference, don't you? You drive to a con- down into a cul-de-sac and the road stops. The best you can do is drive in a circle. But God hasn't called us to be cul-de-sacs, but conduits, that that which we learn, that which you teach, we can be a conduit to share with other people and encourage them. Be a, be a conduit, not a cul-de-sac. That's how we grow. That's what it means to mature. So we would indeed engage people. We want to help people engage in ministry to serve God. We don't help people grow by allowing them to sit and not serve. The church is something, again, we are, not something we go to. And we would expect, and rightfully so, should have expected of each other to serve. God's given you gifts for a reason, not to put them in a closet. He's given you gifts, passions, experiences, so you can serve. And so as a church, we expect every believer who calls Elam their home to serve. And you should expect that of each other, because that's what Christians do. Because that's what we're called to do, is serve. And so where are you serving? Who are you serving? It's a good question to ask. Because if you're maturing, you're ministering. If you're not ministering, don't have any conversations about maturity. Because that's not taking place until you're ministering. Because that's part of maturity. At Elam, we're going to work to equip people. We just past year we did several gifts um, studies, spiritual gift training, and it started at the elder board as we evaluated our giftedness and looked at what that looked like for us as an elder team. We offered it. Mark Linder offered it. Other opportunities. That's how we help people engage. We had evangelism training this past year, helping to equip people to share the gospel in their sphere of influence to help them engage lost people. Our leadership retreat you had yesterday, hoping that as a team we could equip and encourage each other to engage in ministry. Our growth group leaders meet periodically to help and train and encourage each other out so we can engage in ministry. That's who we are at Elam. That's who we want to be, a church that helps people engage because a disciple-making church is a normal church. We don't want to think here in terms of maintenance. We want to think in terms of mission. We want to think in terms of leaders, not managers. We want to think in terms of our strengths, not so much our weaknesses. How has God strengthened us? That's how we can help people engage. We're committed to make Christ known to as many people as possible, helping others know him more intimately, helping people take steps of growth so they could be released to serve. And by the way, one of the promises is when the church is the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Because the church is something God has designed, who he's empowered to be his instruments in the world. And that's where we get to this idea of the mission's power. I love Acts 1, 4 through 9. I read verse 8. I'm going to read the verses surrounding it now. Authors Luke He says, the first account, I composed Theopolis about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive, after after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, 
which he said you heard of, of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him from their sight. The mission's power. Where does our power come from? It does us no good to just go through motions unless the power of God infuses them. The power of the mission comes from the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting in the book of Acts in this context, the risen Christ appears to his disciples over a period of 40 days. He gives this great commission, and you would think he would say, okay, now you know the plan. You know the authority of the one giving you the plan. Here it is, go into all the worlds. Go. He says, wait. He says, actually, just the opposite. Before you go, wait. Because there's something you don't have yet that you're going to need when you go out into this world, when you face the chaos and the fog in the world. What do they need? They need the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew the power and the strongholds of the enemy. He knew what these followers would face. He knows how much wisdom they would need. He knew how much discernment they would need. In essence, Jesus said, although you have the correct message, you'll never accomplish the mission I have without power from above. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not good enough. We're not good enough. We're not clever enough. We're not persuasive enough. We don't have the right discernment without the Holy Spirit. We're helpless. That's why Paul says, my message came. It didn't come with cleverness or wise and persuasive words. It came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, and that it must have or would have had no impact. The same we can say of our ministry. It needs the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is evident when there's a preaching and teaching and community that has a supernatural ability that seems at times often lacking. The upper room and this room is filled with failures. And we don't need just a little help around the edges. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to take that which is dead and make it alive. We need Elam to be a ministry not marked by wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the power. And how do we in a sense, get infused with this power, we get on our knees and pray. It's one of the things that became pretty evident to us as the elder board we wanted to up our commitment to. We wanted to make sure we spent more time in prayer. Not that we weren't. We just know we needed to spend more time. That we had to deepen our commitment to a dependence on the Spirit. Our concert of prayer that ended last year that launched us into this new year. New prayer initiatives you'll be hearing about actually introduced probably at our congregational meeting a little bit are all efforts to invite the Spirit of God to empower our mission. The mission we're called to. The mission the church has been entrusted to. Operating in the power of the Spirit, the church then can have a great impact. The reality is if you look in the world, we had a really rough week as we looked at what happened in New York. There's not a heart in here that didn't grieve over the horrible decisions and cheering for aborting babies. 
But understand the change is God doesn't bypass the church house to get to the White House. The White House is not our answer. And everyone looks to government to change things. And God says, well, don't go to the White House. You come to the church house. That's my chosen instrument. That's us. You want to change this world? Start with us, the church, God's chosen instrument in which you and I are part of. Because the Holy Spirit longs to produce in us a climate and an environment in Elam that is anything but dull. An exciting environment marked by the power of his Holy Spirit working among us. It's the year of football. You got the playoffs last weekend. You got the Pro Bowl today, which nobody really cares about, but the Super Bowl next week. And you know, when you get on a football field, there's three teams on the field. There's two teams that are in a great clash, a great battle, a great conflict. Each of those teams has their own agenda, their own goals. Each of them is working in one direction, where the other team they're facing is working in a different direction. It brings great battle, great conflict. But in the midst of the battle between these two teams, there's a third team, the team of officials. And this third team is on the field in the midst of the battle of those two teams to bring order. They're on the field, but they're not of the field. They're in the midst of the chaos, but they're not part of the chaos. You see, they belong to a different kingdom, a different authority. That authority is in New York City, the commissioner, Roger Goodell. And they're on that field under his authority to bring order into the chaos and the conflict of what's happening on that field. And you know what each official has? They have a book. They have a book which governs what happens on that field, and that book wasn't something they designed. That book came from an ultimate authority, which is in New York City, of that kingdom. And so you have a third team on the field in the midst of a chaotic conflict trying to bring order, and they have a book from a different authority which tells them how to bring order in this battle and this conflict. And on times, at times, these officials are jeered. I mean, there's times people hate these officials. Look at the playoffs recently. I mean, there's still people ticked about what happened in New Orleans. I mean, they jeer, but there's times they cheer the officials, especially if your team got the call. And so these officials that are on the field trying to bring order out of the chaos sometimes are popular, sometimes not so much. And there's a third decision, or third team that makes a decision. It's based on the book received from the authority above, not on the crowd's opinion. Officials on the field don't say, hey, what do you think? Let's take a, let's take a, a poll here. Uh, was he out of bounds or not? Uh, they don't look at the other two teams and say, did he get both feet in? Uh, they, don't, they don't do that. You see, they have a book from a different authority that governs what they do. They're, they don't care about popular opinion. They don't care what the two teams in the midst of the battle even have to say. They don't govern with that authority. They're there to bring order into chaos. The minute that third team quits using that book, it only adds to the chaos. A mess develops. They're not bringing order. They're not having an impact they are meant to have in the midst of that chaos. Our world is in chaos. Our world's a mess. America's a mess. You don't believe me? How can you have a nation up in arms about a bad play in a football game and cheers a decision to murder babies? We're in a mess. And who's going to bring order out of that chaos? 
Who's going to step in the middle of the conflict and all the battle? It's a third team. It's a third team that has a different book that comes from a different kingdom, a different authority. And we as a church are to be in the field, but not of it. We are to be in the midst of the chaos, but not be part of it. We are to bring that which comes from a different authority, the word of God, into the midst of this chaos and mess and said, thus saith God. We're from a different kingdom. We have allegiance to a different king. That's us, Elam. We're called to be instruments, change agents in the midst of a messed up world to bring a message that transforms. The message is in Elam. The message is Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Without that message, without that gospel, we're in trouble. That's our message. That's what we're to hold out to the world if we're going to have an impact. This third team is needed. Church, we're needed. We're needed here in Kokeda. We're needed here in Dassel. Let's not drop the ball. Let's be who we're created to be, who we're called to be, his church, his people, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I guess I'm kind of excited about being part of what you want to do in the world. Kind of overwhelmed, too. My heart grieves this week, maybe even a little more than others, but it grieves. It grieves because of the reminder that we live in a messy world, not just because people make bad decisions, but we live among people who are lost, who make decisions because of that. Because they don't know you, the Lord, the one who calls the shots. But it's into this crazy chaos you call us. It's true you call us as individual Christians into our individual mission field, but God, the scriptures shout that we're part of something greater than ourselves. We're part of a third team. Your church, not our church, it's your church. Your church that's on a mission that you have called us to. And Lord, that would be very difficult and overwhelming to leave this building if the thought ended there. But God, you knew you sent us out into a mission that was an absolutely impossible for us to accomplish. And that were utterly helpful, helpless. But God, you promised us the Holy Spirit that could infuse every conversation we have. Lord, that could infuse power in every effort to help people grow towards maturity. It's your spirit, God, that can heal any relationship, that can heal brokenness, that can help people work through abuse and some of the real deep challenges people face. God, it's your spirit that brings life and brings hope. And so, God, help us to be obedient as a church to carry out your call. And, Lord, help us to seek you knowing that because of your spirit, you can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or imagine.
in your church throughout all generations for the praise of your name. We ask this in your name, the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.